quickly faster. Spooks from the LGBT community. The Skeletal Grin by Quippy Tasha. Narrated by Quippy Tasha. I'm terrified of death. I wake at night with the classic cold sweat from dreams where I've been dreaming nothing at all. Indeed, I don't dream often. Rare are the times when sleep can penetrate my fear. So great is the phobia. So I sit awake for days and nights at a time, in my room surrounded by death in the form of a thousand mounted butterflies, watching the door and waiting, waiting for that tall dark figure that they call the Reaper with his terrible scythe, coming to cut my ethereal cord and thus sever me from this world. I know now my time must be short. During my early childhood years, such thoughts were never a burden. The world was fresh, as was I, and I believed eternal. Such juvenile beliefs. I remember when it all started. I must have been about ten at the time and had the chicken pox and therefore quarantined to my room. It was a beautiful summer day and the whole world seemed to be bursting with life, and I was staring out my window, which was facing the fields at the back of the house, and not the grey street up front, when a vivid butterfly pushed itself on the window ledge outside. It was one of the most gorgeous things I'd ever laid eyes upon, and I gazed at the marvel in awe as it fanned its wings, giving me flashes of its striking colours and intricate patterns. Every time it opened its wings, I saw new colours and new patterns, for hours I sat there watching it from behind the glass, and I remember thinking it must be the pure embodiment of life itself. Even as dusk drew in, and the sun had set, it remained on my window ledge, apparently content. I continued watching it late into the evening until the colours faded with the darkness, and sleep finally conquered me. I went to bed to dream of beautiful things. The next morning I awoke to find my beauty was still there. I opened my window to invite it inside, but it remained motionless. Seeming to have no fear of me, I reached out my hand and offered it to the butterfly to rest upon. No sooner had I touched it, it fell on its side and withered. The poor thing must have died in the night. With tears in my eyes, I continued to stare at the remains, and although its colours and patterns were still vibrant, it had lost all of its beauty from that moment on. I could not believe something so brilliant and youthful could be touched by death. I picked up the empty vessel of the thing that was once so beautiful and placed it tenderly in a wooden box, and I still have the desiccated creature to this day. Though the whole event disgusted me, it was what inspired my lifetime hobby of butterfly collecting, but that was also the day when I became aware of the grim reality of death. Now I am old and weary, and expectant of the visitor that does not knock. 
the unwelcome guest that can call any time he chooses. The stealer of souls, the guide to the other side, the creature of the skeletal grim, the one they call the Reaper Grim. Although that day was the beginning of the realization, it wasn't what created the fear within me. Oh no. I was of middle age when my family moved to India. When I say my family, I mean my partner, Emma, and our daughters from Emma's previous marriage, Louise, the eldest of seven years of age, and Glory, who was five. Such good girls, and smart like the mother. I'd just written a very successful book on butterflies. I had moved to Asia in hope of cataloguing a few more exotic specimens. We purchased a fine house at a fantastic price just outside of Madras, and we settled in it within a month. Though we were barely there another month when I came down with the fever. It was soon diagnosed to be malaria, and my health deteriorated rapidly until I was a sweaty waste of a woman, lying in bed too weak to feed myself or even move. I should mention that, at the time of our stay in India, there was very little treatment for malaria, and thus it was concluded by the doctor, whom I have to say was the most pessimistic of men, that death would come swiftly. Sweet Emma was so strong during all of this. She sat by my side the whole time, moistening my brow with a silk cloth, and fed me coconut soup. I'd like to remember how that soup had tasted, but at the time my senses were numb, and I was falling deeper and deeper into delirium. About a week had passed, and I was constantly falling in and out of consciousness. My extremities had swelled to mammoth proportions, and my body shriveled as my soul packed its things ready to leave. I imagined that poor butterfly of my youth. I stared up at the ceiling and imagined a flock of them circling my bed. But then, out of the corner of my eye, I saw the figure standing in the doorway. He was about five feet tall and wore a shabby and tattered hooded robe of the deepest black and held in his right hand a glistening scythe. His face was nothing more than a bleached skull of pure white that appeared to glow against the contrast of his robe. And he stared at me. He stared at me with hollow eyes and grinned that frozen an eternal grin, so terrible that Beelzebub would surely sell his own soul in order to possess it. I knew it was the Reaper himself. I shot up from my bed and screamed, pointing towards the apparition. Emma was sat beside me as always, and hushed me soothingly. She couldn't see him. I tried to explain what I saw, but she wouldn't believe me, taking it all to be part of my fever. She gently coaxed me to lie down and save my strength, and... to a Peter. I did, though my eyes stayed fixed on that figure at the door. I stared at him like a cat for at least an hour with heavy breaths, and he stared back at me. He could smell death in the room. I must have lost consciousness again, because the next thing I knew it was dark and cold. I believed myself to be dead, and I screamed again, but then a match burst into life beside me, and a candle was lit. I turned towards the flickering light and saw my wife sitting beside me, and I realized with relief that I was still alive. Again Emma soothed me, rubbing my brow, coaxing my head back to its pillow. I looked towards the doorway to my left and saw that the apparition was gone. 
But then my gaze fell to the foot of the bed and I saw him standing there at my feet. Oh, the panic I felt. He was coming for me, I knew, and I screamed and Emma did her best to soothe me, but my horror was intense. I screamed and I screamed, but death stood there, unflinching, unmoving, just smiling and waiting, as patient as time. <sighs> Eventually I calmed down. But he was still there. He was always there. I asked Emma to bring me the girls so I could see them at least one last time before our guest's business was through. She hesitated a long while before answering, but then she told me that they had also fallen ill and were immovable from their beds. She began crying. I hadn't seen her cry before this time, always holding on to her brave face. But now she cried, and I cried with her. Death grinned. I saw less of Emma after that day, since now she had to look after the children as well as myself. The figure at the foot of my bed remained with me and I spent my time staring at that blank expression, trying to find the back of the darkness in those empty eyes. All I could find was cold infinity. I tried talking to him. He remained motionless and silent, like a statue, with scythe in hand and purpose in mind. I spent a week lying on my deathbed watching him. I studied him and dissected him with my eyes. Apart from being unusually short, he appeared to be a normal human skeleton. <laughs> normal. I don't know how I can use such words to describe what stood before me. How many skeletons stand without muscle or sinew? How many skeletons stare without eyes? How many skeletons can smell death without the aid of breath or nose? Impossible, though he was standing there. And he was looking at me. I could practically see him sniffing the air. No, this was no normal skeleton. I then turned my attention to the scythe. It was a good scythe, as far as I could tell, though I'm not a farming stock and have little experience of such things. But the handle looks sturdy. I assumed oak. The joinery was fine and precise, and the blade was sharp and flawless. Indeed, the blade looked extremely sharp. It was tilted towards me in such a way that if I leaned my head over to one side, I could look along the length of the blade. I swear it was no more than a hair's thickness at its widest point. But this may make the blade sound as if it were fragile. I swear I had this aura of strength around it. I don't believe a blacksmith, even with all their tools of the trade, could have put a dent in it or even reproduce it. A week had passed and I surprised all with my longevity. The doctor was called again and did a re-examination and found I was on the mend. A miracle, I thought, and I turned towards the reefer and laughed in his face. Ha! Huh, I said. Did you hear that? You've wasted a lot of time in this house, my friend. I guess you'll be moving on now, eh? I then continued to laugh like a maniac until Emma and the doctor had left, thinking me to be deep within my madness. But death remained. I stopped laughing and, after a moment, I saw the first movement from the apparition. Slowly, so slowly it was almost imperceptible, his skull began to turn. This puzzled and fascinated me as I watched. 
for several minutes. That intriguing skull rotates 90 degrees towards the wall on my right. And again his posture froze. I looked to the wall. I could see nothing that would attract the attention of death. Unless a silverfish had died behind the wallpaper. But I don't think the reaper would be too interested in the death of a mere invertebrate. But then realisation washed over me. He wasn't looking at the wall. He was looking through the wall. And on the other side of that wall was our daughter's bedroom. No! I screamed. No! I screamed again. I continued to yell at the monster, each ejaculation a more forceful and terrified tone. His bony body turned towards the wall and, after a second's pause, glided through it silently with his cloak flailing behind him. I made as much noise as my lungs would allow. A minute later, Emma came storming through the door and tried to calm me down, but this time I would not be consoled. I screamed and yelled, The children! The children! But she kept shaking her head with tears in her eyes, believing me to be mad and forcing me to lie down. The children! The children! I kept screaming. The children are dead. She said. And with that, the room flooded with our silence. Death came floating back through the wall and resumed his place at the foot of my bed and grinned at us. My wife still could not see it, and I don't know how he managed it, but his grin had taken on a more satisfied expression. Why is he tormenting me? Why had he not left? Why did he remain at the foot of my bed? Why my bed? Oh yes, it's true, I was a long way from recovery, but even the doctor had agreed that death need not wait for me. I wanted to talk to him, to interrogate him, to find his twisted motive. Why my bed? Why not the bed of our young daughters? Why does he torture me with his sight? He could not have hoped to scare me to death with his presence, that time had long passed. All these questions I longed to ask him, but I restrained myself as I knew my wife was still beside me. And what would it look like if the woman she loved, who was supposedly on the road to health, were to start babbling to thin air, asking questions of death, immediately after the passing of our daughters? No. I decided to wait until I was alone with the apparition. Eventually, and after great morning. She left my side as the doorbell beckoned to her from downstairs. She stood up and walked straight past my tormentor and through the door. I immediately began my interrogation. I began asking him why his presence was allowed to be known to me. He remained silent, admittedly as a skeleton should. I asked him why he waited for me, but he remained silent. I sat up in my bed in order to make more of an impression, and asked him of our daughters. Yet again he remained stubbornly silent. Now that was the question that most required answering, so I asked him again, What have you done with our daughters? He would not say a word, but if possible his grin looked even more smug than before, yet the expression was fixed. I could feel the anger brewing up inside me from this devil's impertinence. This time I yelled, What have you done with our daughters? But lo and behold, the creature held his non-existent tongue. I did not hold mine. 
I cursed him. I cursed him and let fly every profanity that would leap from my tongue. I swung my legs out of the bed and threw the sheets off of myself. The reaper's gaze followed my movements. Still screaming and still staring into his eyes, I jumped up from my bed and pulled myself to full height and faced the monstrosity. He faced me, and I walked towards him. But surprisingly, he turned towards the door and glided through it, apparently in retreat. I yelled at him to come back, but there were still questions unanswered. But then I felt the blood rush into my head, and my vision fading. My legs crumpled beneath me, and I fell to the floor. My thoughts at the time were about how deviously the Reaper must have taken my soul without my notice, for surely now I was dead. My thoughts ceased completely, and I fell into the dreamless sleep. I surprised myself by opening my eyes again, though I don't know how much time had passed. I managed to stand up, and I felt a head rush coming on. Fortunately, it quickly subsided. Looking around, I could see that I was still in my room, on the floor and that death had gone. I felt fine, with not even the slightest trace of fever upon my brow. I did feel hungry, so I walked out the door towards the kitchen downstairs. I strode down the corridor until I arrived at the head of the stairs, and was surprised to find that the banister had been pulled away from the wall. Puzzled, I looked down the stairs to the ground floor, and saw my beloved lying there, Contorted in a pool of her own blood, crouched over her was my tormentor, with his hand deep within her chest. Rage took hold of me, I ran down those stairs screaming, but the figure ignored me and pulled something I could not see out of the motionless Emma and placed it between the folds of his robes. He then stood up and passed through the front door and was gone. I reached the bottom of the stairs and held Emma in my arms. She was still alive. I spoke to her, crying. I told her I was sorry. I told her I tried to stop him. I told her. She opened her glazed eyes and asked in the most inaudible voice, Stop whom? With those words came her final breath, and life left her completely. I was left once again holding the lifeless vessel of a life that was once so beautiful. I laid her head down gently and went upstairs to pack my things. Within the month, I had moved back to my family home in London, where I still reside alone, waiting and expectant of the visitor who does not knock, the unwelcome guest who can call on you any time he chooses, the stealer of souls, the guide to the other side, the creature of the skeletal grim, the one they call the Reaper Grim, as I have done since India, 1910. Quirky Pastor. Spooks. 
from the LGBT community.